0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: The cost of short-term holiday rentals like Airbnb and stays have changed the way we travel and holiday. And for places like Byron Bay in New South Wales and Busselton in WA, it's changed the shape of the town. Byron's beauty has become a double-edged sword in recent years, with its popularity soaring and the local community paying the price. I've seen friends
2: having to leave this place like literally in droves to move out to up to an hour away and still work in Byron.
1: Now governments are cracking down to encourage landlords to return their properties to the long-term rental market. New South Wales has recently imposed 180-day limits for short-term accommodation in popular holiday spots. And now WA is looking to impose 90-day limits, a move that could be a game-changer in places like Margaret River and Dunsborough that are popular with sea changers and holidaymakers. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk country, Perth. Moves are afoot today in WA to impose new government regulations on landlords making money from short-term rentals. Amongst the changes is a $10,000 incentive for landlords to put their property on the long-term rental market and 90-day limits. It's expected to have a big impact on popular holiday destinations in the southwest of WA, like Margaret River, Dunsborough and Buffleton. Our reporter, Amelia Searson, is in Dunsborough Right now. Uh, Amelia, how's it looking right now in Dunsborough? It's always lovely there.
3: As per usual, Sinead, it's absolutely beautiful in Dunsborough. I'm currently standing on one of the sandy beaches here looking out at the
1: gorgeous, crystal clear blue water. Um, No surprise that it's a tourist hotspot. There's no surprises at all. Now, lots of changes announced by the government today, amongst them a 10,000 cash incentive and also regulations around how many nights of property can be rented out each year. Can you explain how that might be rolled out in regional WA? Yeah, it's something that is certainly
3: welcomed or being welcomed here. We've spoken to a few business owners and some locals in Dunsborough this morning. Um, That $10,000 a uh, cash incentive, as you say, Airbnb owners will be offered that money to turn their properties into their Airbnb properties into long term rentals. And as I say, locals have been absolutely screaming out for more regulations in this space. Obviously, everywhere in the country and the world, it seems, is being affected by this horrendous housing crisis. And tourist hotspots like Dunsborough like Margaret River, here in the southwest, are, really have a lot of concerns about Airbnbs. So a part of the the change. To WA's short term rental accommodation, um, will be this $10,000 incentive for Airbnb owners in the Southwest to turn their homes into long term rental properties. Um, so essentially every short stay property uh will need to be registered by the start of next year that's when this is going to roll out um and from from today the uh the properties will have had to be Airbnb rentals for the past 6 weeks so it's not like um someone can sort right. of hear about this incentive and then think oh that sounds great well, we'll um we'll hop on board with that they will have already had to have um been uh, leasing through one of the sh- short-term platforms like Airbnb
1: Amelia, like you said, Dunsborough is a beautiful holiday spot, but it also has a sizeable local population who are paying big rents at the moment. What's been the local response to the news? Yeah, it's been a little bit mixed.
3: We spoke with a single mum named Beck earlier this morning, and she actually was homeless for quite a while because of the impacts of Airbnb. It really, uh, it got bad for her. She had to leave, um, a relationship. It was happening around COVID, but obviously that's when we saw this, you know, housing crisis really skyrocket. Um, and there were just no affordable options in her, you know, in her hometown of Dunsborough because, um, everything was just being turned into Airbnbs because obviously we had a lot of uh, domestic tourism going on in WA. You know, lots of people from Perth coming down um, to hang out in the Southwest because they couldn't go overseas. So that was a really uh, horrendous experience for her and for her young child. Um, she spoke about um, how frustrating and difficult and isolating it was to not be able to give her daughter um, that stable household. And a lot of it, she she said, stemmed from those issues with Airbnb. So she was really happy to hear that um, finally something uh, more concrete was being done to address these concerns that locals have been screaming out um, for, for a very long time.
1: Well, let's have a listen to what beck had to say
4: housing has been an issue for dunsborough for many years before uh COVID hit um with you know it's a very beautiful place to live it's a popular place to live um however once COVID hit um landlords began removing their homes from the long-term rental market and placing them in short stay accommodation mostly airbnb and that has a direct impact on myself and my family um, as I wasn't able to secure a rental for nearly a year. So the housing situation in Dunsborough made me homeless which is something that I would never ever say.
3: The government has announced today that it's going to be offering um, $10,000 incentives for people um, to turn their Airbnbs into rentals. So basically if you have a Um, a house that you can rent for under $650, the government will give you $10,000. What are your thoughts on that?
4: I really... Absolutely. I welcome any regulation for Airbnb. Let me say, though, Airbnb is um, really important for a town like Dunsborough and for regions like the South West because we are a tourist town. However... You still need a town to function for it to be a successful tourist town that can cater for all of their visitors. Um, I think that the lack of regulation of Airbnb properties has hurt not just people like me who are looking for housing, it's hurt local businesses who aren't able to provide the services they would like to because they can't find anywhere for their staff to live. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also hurt people who have been living in government-subsidised accommodation which has just recently started to come to an end. So there are 70 tenants who are in government-supported housing that will be, they either are now or will be at risk of homelessness because there is nowhere for them to go. So any Airbnb regulation to support long-term rentals for residents and staff is really welcome.
1: That was Beck, who is a local in Dunsborough, and she was speaking to our reporter, Amelia Searson. Now, what about local businesses? Because they, ha- they are, have also been very impacted by the lack of properties up for rent. Who have you spoken to about that?
3: A hundred percent. We spoke to a business owner in Yelling Up, so it's about 10 minutes from Dunsborough here in the southwest. Uh, Steve Tippett, he owns Studio Bistro, and let me tell you, an absolutely beautiful restaurant. Walked in, smelt amazing. And so it's great to see these local businesses um, still, you know, still running, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of pressure. Um, There's a lot of stress, a lot of frustration. Steve has told me that he's lost a lot of chefs over the past few years, um, who've lived in, in Yelling Up for their whole lives, but they just can't afford to live, uh, live there anymore. And so they've actually moved over um, to cruise ships. So they're working on cruise ships. And then when uh, during their time off, they'll actually travel to Bali. It's more affordable. We, um, we met one of his waitresses this morning who um, they put a public call out to try and find her a spot Uh, to live because she, um, you know, the the cheapest option for her as a single woman was $300 uh, room in someone's house. Um, So any sort of, uh, you know, policies or regulations to try and ease this pressure is certainly welcome down here.
2: The $10,000 incentive, I don't know if that's high enough. And I think it's also capped at $650 per week rental. You would struggle to find a house in the Dunsbury-Yelling-Up area um, that's at $650 a week. In actual fact, there's only about six houses that are up for rental at the moment, and they average $750 a week. So that incentive's not going to do anything for the region.
3: Mm. What would you like to see happen?
2: Well, I think it's a good move. It's definitely a definite good move, um, but it's just it's just not high enough. Um, for, the, for those people in, the, in that area.
1: That's Steve Tippett, who runs Studio Bistro in Dunsborough. Obviously, Amelia, he has his hesitations about it and how far it's gone. But overall, do you get the feeling that this could be a game changer for somewhere like Dunsborough, or is the devil in the detail? Well, I think it it would definitely be
3: a matter of waiting and seeing. Um, Certainly, you know, locals want tourists to come here. That's part of what, um, you know, keeps keeps these towns vibrant and keeps them going. There's certainly desire for tourists to keep coming through, but there still needs to be options for locals so that they can stay here. There needs to be options for workers so that they can continue to work here and they're not stressing about, you know, if they're going to have to sleep in their car or if they're going have to pay $300 for one room so we'll definitely wait and see I think people are just relieved that something is being done
1: um, and we'll just have to hope that it makes a difference. Amelia Searson in Dunsborough thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide. Thank you Sinead.
5: You're listening to ABC Australia Wide.
1: A region in South Australia has one of the nation's highest levels of developmental vulnerability in children. Locals say an increase in childcare access could help. But with long waiting lists to get in, a group of parents are fighting to give others in their community the same opportunity. Stephanie Nitschke has this report. For many regional families, it's tough to
2: find a spot at the local childcare centre. In South Australia's Riverland region, there's three or more children vying for every space.
6: We've had people that have been specialists in medical industries and stuff like that, and they've actually left our area because they couldn't get care for their child.
2: Emma Vallalonga lives in the bury Barmer area and is also the Treasurer of the Bury Regional Child Care Centre Committee.
6: I wouldn't have been able to go back to work if I didn't have the possibility of child care. I don't have anybody else to look after my children kind of thing during the day. Not only that, the wait was actually longer than anticipated as well, so I did have to outsource other types of care
2: while I waited. She was forced to wait more than six months for a space for her child. It impacted her ability to return to work, but she also knows how important the service is for developing minds.
6: So my child would have been um, home by herself and she wouldn't have been interacting with other children, and learning from them.
2: The 2021 Australian Early Development Census found the Berry Barmara local government area had the third highest rate of children who were developmentally vulnerable in South Australia. It also highlighted children in SA were more vulnerable than the rest of the country. It's measured in five areas of early childhood development, which form the foundations for later good health, education and social outcomes.
6: As a community, we don't put the importance on what happens, particularly in that zero to three-year-old age group, when children's social skills are really being, the foundation of them is being laid. It is really important able to um, have a child care centre that can offer respite care for children who are perhaps vulnerable or come from maybe a trauma
2: background as well. That's Anna Rosenzweig, the chair of the Bury Regional Child Care Centre Committee. Right now the committee is gathering signatures, rallying its local council with a petition to plan and construct a bigger child care centre to support more vulnerable children.
6: In the babies' room which is for zero to two year old age children we have over 50 families waiting for a spot. In a room that will only take 16 children a day. Our current centre we've outgrown it. It's over 30 years old and we're bursting at the scene.
2: Australian Child Care Alliance Vice President Nisha Hutchinson says the disparity between country and city child care centres is due to a lack of planning.
6: You've got areas in metro major cities where there are so many childcare centres that were approved without proper planning that they're empty. You can't find enough children to fill them and so they're not sustainable or financially viable. And yet at the same time, because no one's put a whole lot of thought into where regional areas are growing and where there'll be need for new families, you've got areas like the Riverlands where there are these childcare deserts and for love nor money, you can't get childcare centres approved or built in these areas.
2: The Berry balmara Council says the Bury Regional Child Care Centre Committee has been invited to provide a report to the Chamber so options for support can be considered. In a statement, Mayor Ella Winnell says it's working with the group to help find a suitable site. We'll continue to liaise with them on this, particularly if council land is a suggested solution. We all know there's a shortage of childcare access as it is, and it's not just to meet the immediate demand now, given we want to grow our community. If we want to attract and retain new residents in the area, we need to have access to
0: childcare.
6: I mean, this is a... A new centre, is maybe five years away, if we if we work really hard. But something that really needs to be done, just to invest in
1: the region. Anna Rosenzweig, chair of the Berry Regional Childcare Centre Committee, ending that report from Stephanie Nitschke and Sophie Landau. You're listening to Australia Wide with me, Sinead Mangan. And if you haven't given the ABC Listen app a shot yet I suggest you check it out not only can you listen to Australia Wide whenever you want to you can also check out other great podcasts like the second season of the Expanse podcast this time the season delves into the story of the Blight Star in Tasmania it's called From the Dead and well worth a listen you can find the Listen app head to your app store punch in ABC Listen app and you can download it there and you have a world of information and great sounding audio at your fingertips while you're there please subscribe to Australia Wide. That way you can get your daily podcast almost instantaneously. Tough new reforms to WA's banned drinkers register have passed in the State Parliament this week. The register, in practice in the Goldfields, Pilbara and Kimberley region, bans problem drinkers from purchasing takeaway alcohol. These new changes give police, health practitioners and social workers the power to place people on the register and are mandatory across all liquor outlets. Jane Murphy has this story.
7: Amid the ancient beauty of Western Australia's north is a community grappling with the effects of alcohol. The
5: big issue we find is when people get hold of alcohol, take it away and consume large amounts. That's where the real problems are having in the homes, uh, outside in the parks, in the communities, break-ins, you're having indiscriminate violence, you're having domestic violence in the home. On
7: Tuesday, the state's government passed a series of tough new reforms to the banned drinkers register, a list which prohibits problem drinkers in the Kimberley, Pilbara, and Goldfields, as well as Carnarvon, from purchasing takeaway alcohol. Police, health practitioners, and social workers will now have the power to place someone on the register, and those caught on selling alcohol to those registered could be fined up to $10,000. Well,
5: essentially, we're taking something that's operated on a voluntary basis throughout uh, the Kimberley, the Pilbara, the Goldfields, and the Midwest, and making it mandatory. So this law allows police and health professionals and prescribed people to identify people that are that clearly have an issue with alcohol. That
7: was the state's Minister for Racing, Gaming and Liquor, Rhys Whitby. He says while the changes aren't an automatic solution to alcohol abuse, they are welcomed by regional communities.
5: The issue of alcohol abuse and the impact on community is a very serious issue and it's very complex. It involves lots of issues and not just the supply of alcohol but it's the supply of other services uh, to help those people in need. But I'll I believe that it's it's important to have a targeted measure. The state
7: government announced the strengthening of the reforms last year after it was revealed fewer than 200 people were on the register. Of those people, only 15% had voluntarily referred themselves. Peter Peck is the chief executive of the Liquor Stores Association and sees the changes as a massive win for the industry and community.
5: Realistically, now this system has an opportunity to actually work because the previous system made it near enough impossible for anybody to put people on there in any timely manner and so this should accelerate that dramatically.
7: These reforms come only months after WA police wrote to the director of liquor licensing pushing for the implementation of liquor restrictions similar to those already in place in Carnarvon. Those living in the Gascoyne town are restricted by how much alcohol they can purchase per day. Bottle shops are only open between 12 and 7 p.m. on weekdays and are closed completely on weekends you <laughs> all in an attempt to drive down alcohol-fuelled crime. Mr Peck said in light of these changes to the banned drinkers register, the proposed expansion of Carnarvon's restrictions should be shelved.
5: I would expect um, the police in Carnarvon and in Geraldton to have a look at that and see how this works before they start sort of screaming out, oh, let's roll it out everywhere. That just doesn't
7: make any sense. And licensees agree. Owner of the Pilbara's iconic mermaid hotel and motel, Nick Bold, says blanket restrictions should never be be the answer.
8: Being a targeted approach, the banned drink register is a good thing. So when someone has done the wrong thing with alcohol, they go on this register, you know, they can't get access to any takeaway alcohol and it's as simple as that. You can't just have two rules for people just because of where you live. That's absolutely nuts. Jane
1: Murphy reporting there from Karatha in WA. And you're with me sinéad Mangan. Kids usually get told off for playing computer games, but for students on the Gold Coast of Queensland, Gaming is paying off and making some of them a wage. As Mackenzie Collahan reports, even their schools are picking up the controller.
0: Most teenagers are told to put down the computer game and pick up the homework. But for 16 year old Lucas Melissa, the opposite is true.
9: Honestly, I didn't really convince my dad, but he just, I just ended up playing games, becoming good, and then he just kind of let me, you know, just do my thing. <laughs> He's an up and coming esports star. I've been playing for like four years now, maybe five almost. I've won two FNCSs, which is kind of the championships for Fortnite. Um, I got gold in the Olympics for the Fortnite Olympics, sorry eSports series. Where once computer games were confined to arcades and living rooms,
0: now they're big business, with thousands attending live tournaments and millions more streaming online.
9: Maybe not a consistent living, but I'm making like a pretty good amount, I'd say,
0: yeah. Lucas has already won more than $35,000 in prize money this year,
9: not a bad high school job. In Oceania, I'd say it's it's very hard. You'd have to be literally like the best for a long time, like the top of the top. Um, and be smart with, like, how you brand, whereas in Europe you can just kind of be there and you can make a good living. Even schools are getting on board. Lucas was there as 60 of the
0: top players represented their schools at an esports competition on the Gold Coast.
9: I think it's cool because it's kind of getting uh, more socially accepted into society, I'd say. It's just becoming more like a casual thing. Yeah, so I, I think it's pretty cool that schools are, like, getting into it
8: it's really good to see schools sort of accepting that and and now encouraging that and now looking instead of just making you know a gaming club at their school how can we make sort of pathway programs for these kids who actually do want to take it seriously
0: 33 year old Brendan Harms has been
8: in Lucas's shoes it's really hard to I guess have your parents understand the benefits from gaming Um, obviously there was a lot of fights about you know being able to pause an online game when dinner was ready and stuff like that and me trying to make my mom understand that you know i can't pause a live game um but you know now that my parents see they, they still don't understand what gaming is at all but they understand that you know i've sort of made a living from video games themselves not going pro but from like a management position um and sort of yeah helping support that next generation of Pro gamers.
0: Brendan founded Team Bliss, one of Australia's most successful gaming teams. They are trying to create sustainable pathways for emerging players like Lucas.
8: Because a lot of these young gamers aren't prepared for the mental toll that it does take on them. You know, competing at the highest level, and especially uh, on stage in front of a crowd. If they're 16, 17 years old, you know, they've experienced nothing like this before. So um, we get top tier coaches in that can teach them in-game stuff to help them you know excel at the game but we also make sure we have sports psychologists and performance coaches on hand to sort of help them grow as as people and and deal with the stress
0: but sports psychologists performance coaches for gaming it's all a bit much right
8: so the games industry
0: is set to grow to over 300 billion dollars by the year 2027 Meet Jens Schroeder. So I work as Director of Industry Member Relations at the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, or IGEA. That's a mouthful, but the point is, computer games are big business. That makes it one of the fastest-growing screen entertainment industries in the world, if not the fastest, but also the largest. So games are larger than film, are larger than uh, books and and, um, and music. So, uh, you know, um, on a very exciting trajectory there. But that isn't to say there aren't risks. Here's Brendan Harms again.
8: Games are designed to keep you playing, especially against their competitors, you know, that might have similar games. Um, You know, Call of Duty doesn't want you playing Counter-Strike and vice versa, so they think, you know, what sort of um, design mechanics do we have to put in the game to keep you playing? Uh, There are some addictive ones, so it is about educating on balance but I think a lot of young gamers now are very open to the idea of balance when it comes to gaming comparatively to say 10 years ago when we were growing up and we didn't understand that games could be addictive.
0: But our up-and-comer Lucas has his
9: sights set on success. Competitively I mean like I said I'm going to try to go internationally North America and Europe. The competitive scene is you know it's a lot it's a lot more broad you can there's more opportunities for you, more, I'd say, sponsorships. If not, I'll just keep uh, keep trying to win in Australia.
1: Mackenzie Colaghan reporting there from the Gold Coast in Queensland. And that is Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. I'll speak to you again tomorrow. Cheerio.